Where you sent me packing down Green River Valley I knew that if you couldn't then No one would have Lost myself drinking with Hello, ciao, bonjour uh, This is Adam and you're listening to Mile High Stash The podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin In the event of a zombie apocalypse Happy Labor Day I hope you're not working today um, I am actually leaving this afternoon for a week in France, but I worked overtime to get this um, episode to you. It's, it's very special to me, actually. Um, one of my childhood heroes, Bill Stevenson of The Descendants and Black Flag and the legendary Blasting Room studio um, in Fort Collins is my guest today. Uh, and, and it turns out you don't really interview Bill Stevenson. You get on a train that's moving fast and try to hold on, um, or a, a roller coaster. Um, he's so joyful and so talkative and, and um, funny. And yes, he moves fast. And he laughs a lot. Um, I asked Bill about his evolution as a drummer, and he immediately started talking about getting out his parents' pots and pans on the kitchen floor as a kid in Southern California. Um, he must have been a handful. <laughs> um, at about 14, he accumulated some drums, a guitar, and a bass, and created his first song, My Edge, and, and then created The Descendants. Uh, My Edge turned out to be one of the most iconic punk rock songs in, in history. Um, Milo may have gone to college, but Bill Stevenson created My Age, and that track is still like a rocket ship into loving punk rock for so many kids around the world. I know it was for me. Um, the Blasting Room Studio is also celebrating 30 years in business, and uh, we talked about Bill's life as a, as a drummer and as a producer. Uh, anyway, here's my chat with Bill Stevenson after a few words from the amazing Hennepin Barbershop in South Boulder. Thanks for listening, and please do review Mile High Stash on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hennepin Barbers in Boulder, Colorado, is the brainchild of Ben Tim who found satisfaction in making his circle of friends look and feel handsome and turned that passion for great haircuts into a career. Ben feels that a barbershop is a place where you should expect to find an eclectic group of individuals that can properly serve the community with quality, consistent services related to the traditional practices of barbering. Hennepin is located in South Boulder next to Moe's Bagels and offers high quality haircuts beard trims, shaves, and conversation. Head to hennepinbarbers.com today to check out their services and book an appointment. Hey, Bill, Hello? what's up? How you doing, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm not bad. You're, you're in Fort Collins, right? I am. You're, what you're in Boulder? Yeah, I'm in Boulder. Um, I wanted to just start 
um, with your first musical memories. You're from California originally? Yeah, I grew up in Hermosa Beach, California. I lived there till I was in my late 20s and then moved around various parts of LA and then at a certain point ended up out here in Fort Collins. Yeah. What are your first musical memories of hearing music and then playing music? Right. Yeah. So hearing music, I feel like it was the ones that come to mind are that song. Um, you know, that song water, like water. Uh, cool, clear water, water. Hey, there, don't you listen to the He's a devil of a man, and he walked the burning sand for water. You don't know this song? I don't think so. So that was have to that was one of them, or the or the or that old black magic. Yeah, that old black magic got me. That was another one, and then and then another one was called um, "Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley." Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Poor boy, you're gonna die. Or, or, but then there was the fun ones because those were what those were. Those were my parents' seven-inch records, and I would just sit on the floor with the record player and play all their seven-inch records. Mm -hmm. But then they also got some that were for me, and I got was that one. Um, uh, it was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. That was another one. And then, um, oh, yeah, my friend, the witch doctor, he told me what to say. Boom, 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 boom. My friend, the witch doctor, he told me what to do. Boom, 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 boom. I know that you'll be mine when I say this to you. Oh, baby, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. You know that song? Oh yeah, these are my friend. Amazing, like you know, left field eccentric pop hits, which are. But well, those great, were all you know. my first. Those were all my first ones. I remember. I'm, I'm trying to think if, or maybe that one. Oh, see the tree, how big it's grown, and friends, it hasn't been too long. It wasn't there. You know, a song "Honey" by Bobby Goldsboro. Oh wait, no, I just thought of the all-time one. The all-time one. The all-time one. So. All the ones I just said, this the one I'm going to say now is the most important one. Okay. It's Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town. We talked about that actually on this show before. Oh, that, that song is fucking rad. That song is the wreckage. Yeah. The lyrics to that song are just, oh. Yeah, that's probably one, like, may that may be my all-time favorite song <laughs> so in my life. So it sounds like uh, as a kid, you were obsessed with music and there were 45s just all over the floor. Oh, yeah. And I ruined them all because me and my <laughs> sister have them now. And we wanted to try to, you know, put some of them onto a CD or whatever. What do they say? Digitize them. But they're yeah. just I scratched them all up when I was six. So I ruined them all. <laughs> when did you start to play music? OK, well, so there was the prelude, which is me. On the kitchen floor now because that other floor was in our in the little bedroom where my dad kept a record player but mm -hmm. i would get on the kitchen floor and so i was at eye level with the cupboard that's like underneath the 
think you know the one where all their pots and pans are mm -hmm. the one the one that's like under the stove or whatever wherever and i'd get out the pots and pans and like the spatulas and the wooden spoons and stuff and i'd set myself up a little drum set when i was a little kid and just beat on all the cooking pots and pans with the utensils and that was really when i was first jamming when i was just a little kid but then somewhere along the line um somebody decided I, they could buy me a snare drum because like in junior high and in high school i started tapping along with the, my pencil and pen on my notebook with like the the school band yeah. the school band and a lot of those songs are kind of they're the tempo for marching, so it's like you know, you know, kind of like snare drummy things. Yeah. And so eventually, my dad got me a snare drum, and then it wasn't. So that was when I was maybe 13, 14. and then it was maybe the following year when I got a drum set. And then, then from there, so I got the drum set, and then maybe just right around that same time my mom gave me gave me her dad's old acoustic guitar and then maybe just that same like couple month period i was taking my trash can out to the curb you know mm -hmm. putting it out to the curb for trash day yeah and um i looked in my neighbor's trash can cuz their can was already out on the curb and there was an instrument sticking out of the trash can. So I went over and I got the instrument and it was a hollow body electric bass. Wow. So then I, so then at that point I had a drum set. Oh, it was cheap. You know, I had a yeah. cheap drum set and I had the hollow body bass out of the trash and I had the acoustic guitar from my, that was my grandpa's. So at that point I could record little things you know by back then you you could bounce from one cassette deck to the other mm -hmm. and because i had my cassette deck like on my stereo or whatever but then i had my little you know like a court a court person's little cassette deck those little and they like got stenographers the they got the four big buttons on them like three or three four wide and one red did it have the you handle know? at the end? You remember the one with the yeah, handle? At yeah, the end? yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I could go back and forth. And so not long after then, and I wrote my first song, you know, which is called My Age. Yeah. Now it's the first song I ever wrote. Um, and because uh, the other guys had already, you know, well, you know, I got it kind of ahead of myself, but I don't know. I guess yeah. I'm going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> it's going to happen. Well, you got it, you know, this interest in the drums, you know, that was so obvious. And then you got all these instruments and it does sound like you started a band kind of right after that. Yeah. Yeah. Descendants. We started, we started in Descendants just like, I mean, I had maybe had my drum set for six months. Maybe. High, Descendants was originally a, a band in high school, sounds like. Pretty much. Yeah. Me and Frank and Milo all went to the same high school at the same time. Yeah. And what's funny is Tony had gone there. Tony's a little older than we are. Tony had gone to that same high school years prior, years, years prior. Yeah. Yeah. It that high like school's kind of, that high school's kind of a, like a, so Descendants, Black Flag, uh, Sacred Trust, The Last, 
Pennywise, that... all the all those bands went to the same high school. <laughs> that seems like a Los Angeles thing because Fishbone met in high school, Los Lobos met in high school. Yeah. But I'm saying in our high school, like five bands went there. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so when you say that you wrote my edge, are you talking about the bass line and the drums or everything, the lyrics too? Every every stroke of the pick of everything. Yeah. The bass, the guitar, the drums, the lyrics, the melody, everything. Yeah. And that song it is like a bat out of hell. Like the moment that it starts. Yeah. Um, I remember so well, I was in the ninth grade in Pittsburgh and somebody had mail ordered an SST copy of that on cassette. And he made me listen to it. Like he, he physically inserted it into my Walkman and uh. the bass and the drums started. And I, and, and I thought, what is this and where did it come from? And how do I play the drums like that? You know? Oh, funny. Yeah, we were that song. It's a really you can tell it's a big influence from that band, the Alley Cats, which is a mm. a late seventies, late seventies LA punk band. I think there's an Alley. There's a couple other different Alley Cats, but the one I'm talking about is is a trio, the late seventies punk band. Yeah, and they were a big influence on us. They were where we got that like. That thing, and then like the the drums, like all that business. We that was we were really influenced by the Alley Cats. It it sounds like your drumming is also on a song like Silly Girl. It's it, very Tommy Ramone, you know. But with my age, like I said, out of the gate, it's like, what is this? And how did this? How did this person think that that would be? the drum beat for this because of the alley cats yeah 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 and you guys um came of age in in that hardcore scene and yet what made you want to sing about i mean i guess the answer might be that you were in high school but you know and in, instead of singing about spray paint the walls and rise above and things like that you were singing singing about your parents and your girlfriends and and, and things like that and um maybe I guess my other question is, was that the beginning of emo, you know, taking a hard sound and and having your feelings in the songs? Well, I don't know. I mean, I obviously the 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 these like terms for music, those are more um those are more for uh like press people and radio stations or people that are trying to market records and stuff. That's more, those terms are more for them. Like Devo wasn't sitting around going, Oh yeah, we're a new wave band. Right. They were like, we're, we're Devo. We don't know <laughs> what we are, you know? And uh, so I, I don't know what, I mean, with descendants, our, our influences were really, it really, um, we, we wore them on our sleeves. We were really influenced by, by Black Flag and by the band, the band called The Last. The mm. Last was a really, really big influence on the Descendants. And so was the Alley Cats. I mean, X was 
a little yeah. bit. The germs were a little bit, but it was mainly the Alley Cats, the last and Black Flag. Mm. And so, you know, we, it's kind of like, I don't know, because there's two kinds of emo, right? There's emo like when punk bands started using, you know, more elaborate melodies, they called that emo. But then there's that other kind of emo like from the 2000s. And I, I don't, so I don't know even what that term means really. It's obviously short for emotional. Yeah, but yeah. isn't emotional? Isn't that part of being a human being? Right. I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I tend. So with music, what do you got? You got rhythm, harmony, and melody, uh, inflection. What do you got? What's music? Rhythm, harmony, and melody, right? Yeah. So like with bands that don't use any melody, it's kind of like, well, they just took away a third of their thing. Then they've only got rhythm and harmony, and some of them don't even have much harmony in their guitars. So right. then it's like you just it's just rhythm. Yeah. And that's not that's not interesting enough for me, you know, to be just rhythm. Yeah. One of the things that I find interesting is w wondering whether at that time in Los Angeles with all these great bands, you know, did the audiences like all the bands? You know, like did the audience that enjoyed a black flag and what they were singing about also like the descendants or did they kind of say it's not the same well let's see there were even in like the early stages of the say the la punk scene there were some different um kind of different factions or whatever uh one of the really interesting things about that that first wave of la punk rock was that really no none of no band really sounded like another band mm -hmm. they were all kind of really doing their own things like you had look what you had x and the plugs and the weirdos the screamers the go-go's the germs the um uh eddie and the subtitles uh uh, uh black grandy and the metro squad the last was Los Lobos uh, around too? The bags, I, I think they were, but I I never really got into them till yeah. they till like I heard them on the radio or something. Right. So you know, all those bands are kind of doing their own thing, and so different people would get into different 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 bands. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was also different kind of music clicks i guess because there was sort of the hollywood scene and the hollywood bands and then there was the stuff we were doing in the south bay you know the minutemen and saccharine trust and uh descendants and black flag and um all the other bands i'm forgetting and then there was the orange bands in orange county the alec the the adolescence uh social distortion the crowd uh you know and and it so there were there were different little pockets mm. happening, I guess. It's amazing how much was going on. And um, my impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the idea of punk at the time, if you were even calling it that, was just that you were going to do something different. And so at the point when punk became a sound, it's like, was it punk anymore? 
if you weren't doing something original? Well, that was what was kind of strange when um, some of the kind of pop punk bands got on the radio. Then I felt like I felt like record labels were just selling these kids the same album over and over again with a different band name on it. Mm. Like things got really quite homogenized there for a while in the punk scene. Yeah. Um, and even even before that, I, I think, but the, the but the initially it, it was more it was like more of an art scene, like what what you said it was what it meant to be a punk band just meant that you you didn't sound like anybody else mm -hmm. yeah i mean there was even yeah like wall of voodoo and yeah. you know the the b people and oh oh what about the suburban lawns i don't oh, know that. oh yeah yeah the suburban lawns and uh the middle class the bags it was like just yeah every band was kind of doing their own thing so at what point you know, did you finish high school or did you just say, I'm I'm going to go on tour and be in bands? Yeah, I finished high school and I started down my path of getting some college education. But at a certain point, I went on tour and then I just kind of never went back to school. Yeah, sometimes I wish I had, but uh, I guess, I, you know, you can't go back i mean whatever the choices i made those are the choices i made and take me give me the, the clips notes of bill stevenson you know the descendants black flag all and how do you end up in fort collins colorado of all places we got to where we couldn't really afford to live in la uh as as humans like we were all living sleeping on the floor of our practice room and our practice room was small i mean it was the size of a like a i'd say a medium small size living room mm -hmm. and that's where we were all living it's just in this this vacant store space that that we rented and that we didn't even have a, a shower like there wasn't hot water and there wasn't a shower so we were living like animals, which is fine. I mean, that it was easy. You just find someone and go take a shower at their house or whatever. It wasn't, you know, it was it was fine. But at a certain point, we we plus, you know, it got LA just the traffic got so bad and the pollution and the inflation and even like you know, in some of the areas where we had to live, you know, a lot of racial tension, mm -hmm. a lot of like, like, well, you're what what are you doing in our neighborhood white boy whoa that we can afford to live anywhere but here so don't don't beat us up yeah <laughs> but but um so eventually what we did is we just decided to move elsewhere where it was kind of more affordable and so we went to missouri first and in missouri we rented a big huge four-bedroom house like two with two two floors, two kitchens, two living rooms, four bedrooms, and for 200 bucks a month. Wow. So we were living like kings out there. And so we didn't have to, our, all of a sudden, our little tiny amount of money that we make was enough so that we could live like a human being. So we were happy out there. But then we, after about four years of being there, we ended up moving to Fort Collins. So it's kind of like 
what is it like? Okay, you know the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Like, okay, this L.A. is the porridge is too hot, and then Brookfield, Missouri, was the porridge is too cold, and then Fort Collins is like, oh, the porridge is just right. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not huge, but it's not tiny because Brookfield, Missouri, was kind of it was devoid culturally. Yeah, we were living in a farm town where like the only thing to do on the weekend is like drink beer and go tailgating or something mm-hmm. you know so there's just so we yeah so eventually we moved to fort collins and and we had we had friends here and we had we had had good times on tour here so it was very easy for us to move here and be comfortable yeah and what did you learn from the diy business of of punk rock you know um that you transferred into running a studio running a business well uh, i Personally, I had some good influences in that regard, one of which was my father, who, after my mom bankrupted us and left him, uh, my dad worked two jobs, two full-time jobs for most of my life. Mm. And so I had a good example there of, like, you just do what you have to do to get things done. Yeah, You don't complain about it. You just do what you have to do. And then I also had uh, the black flag guys were, they were a little, a little older than I am. And, uh, they had a really strong work ethic, you know, uh, Greg, uh, Chuck and Greg, mm-hmm. they, they pretty much couldn't be stopped. Like no matter what they were going to do, whatever they had to do to, to get it done. What you talk about there with your dad is a different sort of DIY, you know, but they're both for the same reason. It's because no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. I mean, we would just do, well, that looks weird. I look like I'm in, uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what's that movie called? Uh, hold on. Let me think about it. The Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Does, do I look like the Blair Witch Project? <laughs> you kind of do. <laughs> or Nosferatu, you know, that's another one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to ask you about your five albums and then I'll get back to the rest of the stuff. And oh, my um, five albums. Hennepin Barbers in Boulder, Colorado is the brainchild of Ben Tim, who found satisfaction in making his circle of friends look and feel handsome and turn that passion for great haircuts into a career. Ben feels that a barbershop is a place where you should expect to find an eclectic group of individuals that can properly serve the community with quality, consistent services related to the traditional practices of barbering. Hennepin is located in South Boulder next to Moe's Bagels and offers high quality haircuts, beard trims, shaves, and conversation. Head to hennepinbarbers.com today to check out their services and book an appointment. The entire, um, um, you know, madcap theme of this podcast is that it's a scenario where there has been a zombie apocalypse and you're stranded in a cabin somewhere in a remote Colorado in the mountains. And all you have is food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. And you can bring <laughs> five records with you. Well, uh, let's see. Boy, it's just it's just impossible, isn't it? 
what was my first my first album that I just really kind of fell in love with was probably uh, Neil Young's Harvest. Oh yeah, and I I still listen to that album quite a bit. I I think it's kind of a perfect record. But some of the things I don't know because a lot of you know a lot of whole albums aren't that good. Right. <laughs> I make myself couldn't I make myself five like compilation tapes and have it be that or that's cheating no i think that's the opposite of of cheating actually it's like it's like preparing for the apocalypse you know like people prepared for the year 2000 it's like you know yeah well i'd have to have i'd have to have some neil young and i'd have to have uh i'd have to have a a a lot of cole porter Hmm. songs the problem is he didn't sing a lot of his songs you know various people sung his songs and right. some of them it's weird i kind of like the way he sing, even though he's got kind of a weird voice mm-hmm. there's a few recordings of him singing his own songs and i love those that's cool uh, but i could put together a tape with just some of my favorite versions of people doing the cole porter songs that i mm-hmm. love uh you know night and day and anything goes and mm-hmm. uh uh, uh you know, in the still of the night and so in love and, oh, you know, all those good ones. Uh, le- uh, let's do it. And um, let's see. Uh, there's so many good Cole Porter songs. It's like I'm freezing up. Oh, uh, Begin the Begin. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, Love love for Sale. Uh, uh, just one of those things. You know, mm-hmm. all those great songs. So that would be a good one to have. And then, and then, um, I guess I'd have to, I'd have to have a Ornette Coleman uh, album. That that, but it would, I I wouldn't. I would like to make my a compilation because I'd like to put stuff on there from a lot of the different eras, you know. Because he started as a, he started as a kind of like just a real adventurous bebop guy right but then he kind of almost like picked the torch up from charlie parker but then he really went free jazz crazy yeah and i like all of it i i like all of it ornette coleman's one of my all-time favorite musicians uh so yeah the neil young and the ornette coleman and the cole porter and I, I'd, I'd have to have what would be the, what would be the like the catch-all for like you know loud guitars. I mean, you could, you know, you could almost get by with. Um, oh yeah, it's what I've listened to the most. It would probably either be that that first generation X album. Oh, nice. Yeah. Or the, or maybe rocket to Russia by the Ramones. One of those two would work pretty well, <laughs> but then I'd have to have Sabbath. Cause they're my, they're my favorite band or they were when I was 12. Yeah. I'd have to have a, well, they have that compilation that has, we sold our soul for rock and roll <laughs> on it. That's a compilation. But on the other hand, I would want a little of the Dio era stuff on there because I oh, like a wow. few of those songs from from Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Yeah, and uh, I think those are those are good. So I could I could 
well, that's five, but then I, then I don't have any like Albin Berg or Bela Bartok or Schoenberg or nothing like that, but I want some of that. So what do I do? Do I only get one rock record and then it's got to be, if you could only have one rock record, just maybe one of those kind of early mid era Rolling Stones records could work. Mm. You could only have one rock record. And then that would give me room to take like, say, Bela Bartok uh, Concerto for Violin und Orchestra number one, which nice. is which is the bomber. That would be great. And then I then you know you could really depending on what kind of mood you were in. But then what would you do? Why, how would you live without like the Bill Evans trio at the Village Vanguard? How do you how do you not have that? This is like putting together a baseball team, you know, where you're like, well, if you put yeah. this guy here and this guy yeah. is good at defense, but not offense, but you need him. How do you, what do you have? How do you, what do you not have? No Bill Monroe. You can't have Bill Monroe. You or, can, but um, then you got to take something else off. Or Flat and Scruggs. You can't, what, or what? Yeah, it's just, it's just impossible. Let's see. I gotta go with. If you're gonna be on an island for that long, but then what about my go-go music, like Trouble Funk? You know, yeah. you know DC go-go music. You know that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> um, Sounds like you're gonna have my... to prepare for the apocalypse by making five albums full <laughs> of all, this, all the stuff you want. No, no mo no motorhead no no uh oh what about x i can't have to have an x album i'd have to have an x album hmm. and you got to choose which one which which makes it even harder yeah no steve earl or chris knight no no b-52s i got to see them on their last tour there and I saw them in Vegas. That was, it sure was fun. Boy, what a band. They're breaking up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, you... know. I can't, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought about it ever since you emailed me and told me yeah. that I was going to do that. And I thought about it. Let me, let me just think now that we mentioned all that stuff. Okay. I'm still going to go with harvest. I'm going to, I got, I would have to have, something from that what do you call that is that what is that called i don't know my classical periods but something in the like something in the like bela bartok or albin berg kind of zone yeah I'd have to i'd have to have that i'd have to have ornette coleman I'd have to have cole porter so then it's really it's like one guitar album okay so one guitar album what's it gonna be you could get, you know, you could get pretty far with, with it with ACDC because that's. I was gonna actually say Highway to Hell or. Um... Yeah, those are great. Or for the or left for Let There Be Rock. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. Have you heard the Live in Paris, one? Uh uh uh. -uh. Oh, that's incredible. Um... What if you? I guess if you could only have one guitar album, it would, it would have to be. 
or what about the pink house the, the band yeah you know that's a good one too oh, i was gonna man. i was gonna say the sex pistols because that might be my favorite guitar oh, sound. right because that's almost like perfect rock and roll and perfect punk yeah mm. that's true that could be i think it would have to be one of those rolling stones albums like like you know, exile one the, yeah one of those like early middle period stones mm. In any one of them or i would make my own because i would have to have like it's only rock and roll on it and brown sugar and and uh but then it would also have to have like shattered and and mm. beast of burden but then it would you know it would have to have painted black and and sympathy for the devil and and daddy you're a fool to cry and 19th nervous breakdown 19th nervous breakdown and yeah, yeah. and um oh street fighting man oh but what about no stooges oh oh what if i just bring raw power or the second what if i bring funhouse and the hell with all the rest of it <laughs> funhouse is in in my opinion the greatest just pure rock and roll album yeah been made. so okay so we'll bring funhouse instead of yeah. all instead of but then what about mick ronson you know what about that bowie got good bowie band yeah man. you know I always thought it'd be good to have Mick Ronson and James Williamson in the same band. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Like Raw Power meets meets Suffragette City, you know? Or, the question. or hang on to yourself, you know? Yeah. What do you, I mean, I don't know. I think if I had only have one guitar record, I might I might have to be with Stones. It's tough. Or I could I could forfeit. Okay, hold on. Okay, so Cole Porter, Bella Bartok, Ornette Coleman. What I mean, I mean it's weird. Neil Harvest is my favorite album, but it is taking up a lot of real estate, isn't it? It's got it's, a man needs a maid on it too. That's not it's not the best. Well, but you can't you that's like almost a perfect album though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what he was what he was thinking about by that song. Like what he meant by that song. It might be pretty self-explanatory. He, he was a young man who <laughs> couldn't clean up, clean up after himself at the time. But it might do be bigger. Think, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Because how, how could something that misogynistic be right. sitting next to the song Alabama? Yeah. How could yeah. that happen? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, did you see that movie? The new one? The Harvest one? Yeah. Not yet, but I've heard that it's good. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 It's great. But then what? Oh, what about? I got to bring tea for the Tillerman, don't I? I wouldn't, you know? but you you, you could. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't? You, what about the pink house? Would you bring the pink house? Oh, fuck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you bring the pink house or like, would you bring a, like a Rolling Stones compilation? Or would you I'll, bring Funhouse? If I had to choose between those three and it was a zombie scenario, I'm taking Funhouse because I need to get my my energy out. Yeah, that's true. Cause that yeah. almost covers that covers like really the last 30 years of guitar music, kind yeah. of maybe 40 years. Yeah. I can't. I can't. Do people ever just give up? <laughs> This is the first time, but I love it. It's great. It's it's just saying that, you know, it's like choosing your children to live, you know. 
or what about this one? You know, here, what do you do with here? What about this one is you could, you could either save your daughter or you could save a hundred other people. That's a whole other show. And what do you do though? I, my daughter is, um, you know, sitting on the couch downstairs right now and, um, you know, gun to my head. I probably choose my daughter. I gotta say, okay. What about you could save your daughter (laughs) or a million other people, a million, like either your daughter dies or a million people die. You choose. Are these people who voted for Donald Trump or random cross section, (laughs) random cross section. You take the Trumpers with the Wokers. Um, I mean, a million people. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to be, you know, very sort of existential about it, you would say that a million people probably die every day. That one I would have to come back to, but the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? Would you save your son or would you save a million people? I'm saying this is an unanswerable question. Yeah, just like yeah, the five albums is. Yeah. The five albums is unanswerable for me. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Um, you're making me, you know, you're making me choose the pink house and leave beggars banquet behind. You know, you're, you're making me choose, you know, it's, it says a lot about you that that's excruciating. Can I just not bring clothes? <laughs> Are we going somewhere warm or cold? Um, well, it's Colorado, so you know it might be hot, it might be cold, and it might be uh, you know. Can I? I want to have a. I want to have the zombie apocalypse in Hermosa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be a little different, but um, let's get back on track for a minute. We are on track. If there is a track, we're having fun. Yeah, man. I want to ask you what 30 years of the blasting room means to you. Boy, in the beginning, it was just a million 15 hour work days all strung together for, mm-hmm. for forever and ever and ever. And, and now it's, now I split my time, you know, between drumming and songwriting and doing the audio engineering and mixing. So things have kind of reached a nice balance. But yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Um, how, how many bands we've had through there, and just how much, how much uh, we've learned. I mm. think I learned more about drumming by watching, by recording other drummers than I did by practicing or playing. Mm. Or to, when you recorded other drummers and you see you see the like three things that they do wrong that are, that are horrible. And then you go, okay, I'll never, ever do that again. Right. And yeah. it just, it kind of turned me into a, it turned, it, it really improved me producing, mm-hmm. producing bands or to be inspired by a great drummer, like say a drummer that just gets a really good tone and you don't know why. And it's like, well, because of how they're hitting the drum, they're hitting mm-hmm. the drum. Yeah. And just to see, I see how people arrange their songs, see the, all the different kinds of instruments people are are playing, and the different chemistries and dynamics that that bands have, and how some bands really are bands in the in the like, you know, could sleep on the floor garage sense mm-hmm. of the word, and then other 
bands really aren't bands. They're just four people kind of using each other, hoping to become famous. Mm. So that's a different kind of a of band, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's been it's just been a learning experience. It's been uh I feel fortunate to have found the you know the relationships up there that I did with Jason and with Andrew with with Chris and um with Stefan and you know the same with all the band guys. I mean I I just I feel lucky to have made to have had that company in my life. Yeah. A plasma canvas was telling me how you can be very direct, you know, but not in a offensive way, not in an asshole way. And that that's really important. And and the one thing I remember the most was Adrian telling me, um, you know, Bill is willing to try anything, you know, but he always says we can try that and, you know, it might suck and I'm going to say that it sucks and then we're not going to do that, you know, but you're willing to try it. It's uh, something that took me years to learn is that when you got a bunch of band guys on the couch and they're trying to figure out what the, what the next part of the song is supposed to be and they've got different ideas and and they're what they're doing is they're sitting on the couch and they're arguing about whether or not these ideas are any good and i just say look it takes five minutes to try each one of these ideas whereas we've been sitting here arguing about them in the abstract now for 20 minutes yep. we could have already tried them all and all heard them all because, you know, once we try them and once we hear them, we're all going to look at each other and go, oh, that one sucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, that one rules. And then that's how you get that's how you get stuff done. It's like I think a lot of times it's hard for bands to. To trust the the, um, you know, the the collective voice, mm -hmm. it, it requires that you trust the people you're with. Yeah, it's also hard to admit that everybody's right. <laughs> No, it is because everybody is right. Let's say everybody's good with it, except for this person has this problem with it. And this other person has, and it's like, well, okay, it must not be right. Then if even though one person says the guitars need to be louder and the other person says the bass needs to be louder, it just, it must, I must not have the right tones, you know, because there hmm. is a mix where this band can be happy. Yeah. There is a mix, a mix exists where this band could be happy. And if they're arguing about, well, it's got to go this way or it's got to go that way. Well, that must, means it must not be right. Hmm. You know, you want everybody to be happy. Everybody in the room should be happy. Otherwise you haven't, you know, cause if it's fighting, well, it's, it's gotta be a, it's gotta be option a, no, hmm. no, it's gotta be option B. No, it's gotta be option. And then the, the camp's divided, right? The band is divided. Two of them want option A and two of them want option B. Well, what that sends me off into as well you know what guess what the reason this has happened is because i haven't come up with option c yet hmm. and when i come up with option c all four of them are going to go oh yeah option c you know like that yeah. you gotta you gotta trust you gotta trust all the dissenting opinions and know that it's just 
hopefully going to lead you to a better spot. Yeah. It sounds like though, in my experience in bands that, that the nightmare scenario would be all of the spoons in the pot, like the whole band sitting there during the mixing. That's, that sounds crazy. Yeah. But you ultimately you want each one of them to be completely happy. And that's where the, that's where the yeah. rubber beats the road. Yeah, man. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Something. You don't just want, oh, well, if, I, if the singer's happy, who cares what the other guy yeah. think? No way. Yeah. Well, that it sounds like a talent that you have to be able to say, it, you know, everybody's right. And, and let's work on Everybody's something. right. Yeah. Everybody's right. Yeah. It's true. Everybody's right. One thing that you said before that really struck me was how your first drum set was a piece of crap. And um, I had the Velveteers on and the drummer was talking about how important it is as a kid to not have equipment, you know, that your parents might've got you that instantly is, you, you know, um, professional instantly sounds good because you have to learn how to make it sound good. Is that still something that you try to teach people is that it's important to hone your craft and learn how to tune things and not just have everything nice automatically? Yeah, I I do. In, in that way, I'm still a little bit, a uh, little bit maybe primitive in that I like to, I like to go back to the actual instrument itself um, cause you know, they make everything's all in the computer now and you can mm. make anything sound like anything else. And you can just, if you want the snare drum from the Metallica black album or whatever, well, it's available to you. You can just mm. trigger it and then your snare will sound like that snare. Yeah. But it's kind of like, no, I like the idea of getting the, getting the drums tuned right and hitting them the right way and, and having it be, or with the guitars, if it's, if you're not getting the right tone, well, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's the way you're playing. Well, maybe it's your pickup. Maybe it's the guitar you've chosen. Maybe it's the amplifier of, of really trying to go back as far in the chain as you can mm -hmm. and get to like kind of the core of it. Well, what did, what did this band sound like when they were just in their garage? Well, what did that sound like? Well, yeah. Let's look at that. Okay. What's wrong with that? You know, like a lot of times when I'm working with the band, I like to just put them in a, one of our small studios and just let them practice. And I listen to them practice. I listen to them play together and go, well, what's good about this? What's bad about this? What do I feel like I really want to change? And what do I really not want to change? Because it's, it's one of the essential details of what makes this band, this band, as opposed to this band, just sounding like some other band. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like to pay attention all that. I kind of I kind of believe in the sanctity of a of a musical group yeah. that it's that the players aren't all interchangeable and like if say if the drummer sucks or just hire some session drummer. I don't I try not to do that kind of stuff is it's just I think ultimately that just those paths lead to generic music. Mm. The last thing I want to ask you before I don't take up any more of your time is um, your kid is in a band now, right? My son, Miles. Yeah. It's been yeah. so cool. 
to yeah. he took an interest in music a few years back and yeah. so he and i have been sharing that together we play together sometimes and he's learning audio engineering and everything and so like i taught him his first guitar chords and that sort of thing mm. yeah he has his band hospital socks yeah uh and which have been playing around and they're doing really well it's been great and then he's also recently he's been playing uh with plasma canvas actually oh i didn't know that that's cool yeah yeah well so the question is really with my kid you know she's she's 13 and one of the things that's really funny is i am turning her onto all of the things that i was not allowed to listen to or allowed to see or allowed to do when i was that age and so uh, what do you think that uh, kids of punk rockers have to rebel against oh interesting i i've never had the best um kind of macro view with respect to uh like politics or so socio-political stuff or any of that i haven't had much much of a macro view meaning i i guess i the things that i embrace or the things that i rebel against they're 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 more just kind of like in my neighborhood if you will mm. uh as opposed to kind of worrying about what uh, is happening in the, you know, on some, in the greater cultural scheme of things. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I've always, you know, like I've just, I might try to rebel against my own laziness or something, or I yeah. might try to, I never, I never thought of it in those ways. So, so that's really, I guess I'm not a great person to be able <laughs> to, to tell you what, what the today's generation could rebel against i guess that that probably they just what i see is right now i think people need to be careful not to to um buy into so much of the kind of hatred and polarization that's happening right now mm -hmm. so that did you know they could just rebel against they could just rebel against being an asshole like try yeah. to be try to be good to each other and be considerate be be considerate like you know that the things your grandma told you you know do those things mm -hmm. do those things your grandma told you be be kind be considerate be generous be thoughtful yeah Th those those you know and to so sh sh try to aim toward those things and then maybe you don't need to rebel against anything if you just aim toward those things you'll you'll you will steer clear of the other stuff by 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 process of elimination yeah it's like that dylan line hate nothing and all except hatred yeah 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 well thank you so much for talking with me it was a blast and okay well thank you for your time i i appreciate you uh taking time to talk to me i i hope my uh five album answer was just not too much of a you know a blithering idiot <laughs> no it was it was hilarious and thought-provoking and um the one thing in the back of my mind right now is there's a playlist for mile high stash on spotify where every time somebody chooses 
five albums and the and the episode comes out um, i put one song from each of those albums on the playlist you know oh, so wow. so with you um i'm thinking you're gonna add like 100 songs <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens okay well you have a good evening you too man thank you so much okay see ya Merci. That was um, Bill Stevenson and me talking punk rock and production and, you know, talking in circles about his five albums because he loves music so damn much. Um, I think he's the first person unable to hone it down to five albums, and that was... Um, as the saying goes, more fun than a frog and a glass of milk. Um, but check out The Blasting Room in Fort Collins if you play rock and roll and want to make a record with Bill Stevenson. Um, and check out Mile High Stash again next Monday. As usual, I'm going to be in France for the next week, but I am going to figure out how to still bring you an episode. So we'll talk soon. So you want to rise above duality, you want to transcend day and night. Yes, I'm old-fashioned, I just don't share your passion for ever-changing eternal twilight.